0: All right friends, how's it going? It's Matt, you listen listening to the Looking Sideways Action Sports Podcast, the show where I try and cover the most fascinating stories in action sports and other related endeavors. Yeah, I know I say that every week, it is true though. Thanks for checking this episode out. It's a return visit from the great Leslie McKenna, who makes her second visit to the show a mere four years after she first came on back in June 2017. So Leslie is a snowboarder. She is also one of the main people behind GB Park and Pipe, program manager, I believe, um, although she'll probably correct me if I've got that wrong. I'm always getting that kind of thing wrong. Um, but she's been involved behind the scenes, well, front front of scenes and behind the scenes with UK Snowboarding for well over 20 years. Um, as a professional. She's been to three Olympics, I believe. And like I say, as one of the honchos of GB Park and Pike, which has enjoyed such success in recent years. Now, Leslie, when she came on, like I say, four years ago, is actually my first ever female guest. Um, And I just had a quick look at that episode before recording this intro. And yeah, a lot has changed, not least with this podcast, which at the time was very much in the early stages. I mean, I had an audience. But nothing like the audience. I'm lucky enough to have listening to the show each week now. Um, And we were pre-Pyeongchang 2018 when we had that chat. And, you know, in the meantime, a lot has changed. I mean, Billy Morgan took a bronze medal in Korea 2018. Um, You know, large part due to the work Leslie had pioneered with GB Park and Pipe. And obviously since then, surfing and skateboarding have appeared at the Tokyo Olympics, meaning we're well and truly through the looking glass and into a new board sports era. It's the type of new territory that is, to my mind, crying out for the type of sophisticated insight that Leslie specializes in. I've long held the opinion she's one of the most original and quietly influential thinkers in action sports. And her viewpoint, if you ask me, is needed now more than ever. I mean, that's why I asked her to write a blog for my newsletter earlier in the summer in which she put forward some views about the relationship between action sports and the mainstream that um, set the cat among the pigeons, you might say, below the the line. And yet again, made me personally rethink the way I view the current state of the sideways world. And that was what inspired me to ask her to come on the show once again, to discuss all of the above and much more, which is what we did one August day in 2021 via Zoom. You know, I mean, the one with Joe I did in person last week. This one was via Zoom. Still good, though. I mean, I've been lucky enough to be close friends with Leslie for over 25 years now, and I always relish our conversations and time to get together. I know the conversation is going to leap off into spontaneous directions and that I'll find it personally thought-provoking and intellectually nourishing. Now, I purposely didn't prepare for this conversation, so I could enjoy that spontaneity in real time and that's exactly how it panned out so i'm just going to leave it there um i'll be back at the end with more of the usual but in the meantime here's me and leslie mckenna enjoy how are
1: you i'm good i'm good just took the dog for a walk picked some blibberies on route
0: yeah, how's the dog?
1: Yeah, she, she's great. She's had a bit of um, she hurt her paw when we were at the coast on dashing about like a mad dog on the rocks in between the rock pools when we were hermit crab fishing with Cora. So she's had to be on a walk on the soft grass, not for very long um, program for the last few weeks, which is driving her mad. But she's nearly better. She loves to run and uh, yeah, she's good though. What's she called? She is called Taffy after Barbie's dog.
0: <laughs> I did oh, yeah. wonder. I should probably She was that. originally,
1: yeah. We, we didn't know that either. Um, we found out a couple of weeks after that Barbie had a dog called Taffy. Um, she was originally called Lucy Laserbeam. So Taffy's a bit easier.
0: <laughs> yeah, right. I'm guessing that you and Ewan perhaps didn't name the dog.
1: No, no, it's Cora's dog.
0: Yeah, no, it's great though, isn't it? Yeah, it's. I'm, I'm, I'm proper like. Why did I wait till I was forty two years old to get a dog? That was really stupid. I've missed twenty five years of dog ownership time.
1: Yeah, it's good. It's she's a great little character, a great addition to the family.
0: And how are you anyway? What's going on?
1: What's going on? Um, Yeah, just finished moving into our new house. Well, we're not really finished yet. We'll probably never be finished, to be honest. We are kind of trying to tidy up the garden a bit or the surrounds. We live in the woods, so it's not really a garden. But yeah, um, there's lots of little small jobs to do, but the house is awesome. We're in such a lovely spot. We're making the most of the nice sunny weather.
0: So this is the place that you've been trying to get into for years now, right?
1: Yeah, it's now, I think it's about 12 years since we originally had the idea. Um, yeah, and it's only just sunk in that we've actually managed to pull it off. It, we set up a housing cooperative with some of our friends, basically, to try and access land, which is notoriously difficult to access in the Highlands of Scotland at an affordable rate. And in the end, we had to invent a way to to be able to, access buy and build and keep the property in the local housing market because that was actually really difficult to do hadn't really been done before as a project managed by local people who were also going to live in the houses so a completely non-commercial project and um it involved a lot of collaboration and cooperation with many different partners along the way and kind of inventing of how to do it really. So that inevitably takes a while, but we got there and we're in the house now. And hopefully, we've opened the door for other people to maybe do the same.
0: Yeah, you love a bit of that, though. <laughs> That's
1: right, <laughs> yeah, yeah, That's right yeah. up your
0: street. Oh, yeah, we had to invent a way of like getting some <laughs> land and and like taking you know, dealing with local politics. And it's like almost like the perfect Leslie project by the sounds of it. <laughs>
1: Yeah, yeah. It See, seemingly seems seems to be that way, but yeah, yeah. Um, Inter- intersection
0: almost... of like of like local politics, like cultural issues. I'm assuming there's like a you know like a gentrification backdrop to it as well, with like people getting priced out locally and all that stuff. And yeah, well, yeah, well it, done. That's great.
1: Exactly. Exactly. Yeah, no, it's good. It's a good good project to be coming to a close. And you know, who knows where it'll lead might open other uh, other doors of other projects that could be equally as exciting
0: so what was the crack with getting the land like, is it just you just can't actually get land you can't build like is that is that the problem
1: um yeah in a in a that's the problem but um there's many different facets to the problem so um land ownership in scotland is notoriously um exclusive anyway you know the, the land is owned by not very many people um, compared to the amount of people who, who live in Scotland. And then the way that land own, is owned doesn't make it easy to, you know, you can't just buy it off the shelf and build a house, even if you have the money and, and the means to do that. It's really tied up in many different ways. And the whole planning process is another layer on top of accessing land. And because Aviemore is part of the Cairngorms National Park, there are also um, lots and lots of constraints on development because it's a national park, which is, you know, on the the face of it, a good thing because you don't want um, development that's going to harm the environment of the national park. However, at some point, you have to be able to support the, the rural communities that live and work and and bring resources and progression or whatever to society to to the area as well so it's really trying to negotiate a balance and that that word sustainability in the broad sense was really I guess a theme that that went throughout the the project so how do you balance all these competing agendas competing needs and and find a real form of sustainability that works in the practical world. And that's not easy. And, you know, that often involves helping others to to see different perspectives. And spot something that is so obvious to one party is completely hidden from another when, when there are um, strong agendas or the landscape is political, where there's a power differential. And this was
0: no different. So what? How do you how do you define sustainability in that context then?
1: So in the and when I'm using it in the real high level context of at policy level when you're dealing with something like land ownership and there's competing interests. So let's take a real broad perspective of um, Highland rural communities and natural heritage. So those are two big issues. How how do you reconcile the differences there, um, where there are areas that are mutually exclusive, and find a sustainable, a balanced way forward that can work practically and for the good of both the rural communities and the natural heritage, and at some point there there you know somebody, or from somebody's perspective, it's going to be a compromise, and. Um, but can you can you find a compromise that is sustainable? So I, yeah. I think that it's it's moving into that negotiated area, the middle ground, the fertile ground, the way for potentially a new way forward that nobody's spotted yet, and getting away from a polarized view from one side or the other. So and and you see that in many circumstances. I think we've seen a lot over the last eighteen months, and um, a lot yeah. of the themes that, that you are are really interestingly unpacking involves similar entrenchment and perspectives and and the i'm going to say the the lack of ambition or creativity to find the view that nobody else has got so what's the bit that's missing where where's the sustainability and the way forward that that will accommodate enough of a compromise and get to a solution that's practically workable without losing too much that that just isn't um concedible for either party within reason obviously
0: i mean that's almost like a metaphor for your entire kind of post snowboarding career really isn't it in a lot of ways i'm just going to say that firstly like just just um because that approach really reminds me of the approach that you took for example when we were working together on GB park and pipe you know which we discussed when you first came on the show which i think was like 4 years ago now which is mad isn't it um and yeah you know like compromise middle grounds like balancing different cultural perspectives and political perspectives because obviously i'm guessing there's a huge amount of politics involved in local land ownership in the highlands of scotland as as there is anywhere but the approach you've just outlined is is a is kind of what you what you do, isn't it? Like you know, really, like when when you when you're like, if you look at GB Park and Pipe for example, you know, like the the try to balance the sort of traditional sporting culture with the you know with the needs of like our sporting culture to create something which led to sort of success you know like that that was huge huge that approach was really necessary for you to do that wasn't it i mean i don't want to like go go too much into that right now because i think we're going to get into that aren't we but it just struck me when you were when you were talking about that then that that, that is Cause like, like, you know, like I said earlier, that's all, it's almost where your interests lie, isn't it? Cause, cause what I know about you is you, you really enjoy the nitty gritty of understanding people, different people's perspectives, don't you? Do you know what I mean? Like you're not, you're not somebody that like takes a position and sticks to it. You know, you quite like to sort of, you know, like work out what the, what's making these positions entrenched and, and how you can understand it and then potentially change it. I think that's quite how you work, isn't it really?
1: I, I think there's a lot of value in in um, trying to to ask the question: how, how did it come to be like this? What what is it? Especially if I don't initially agree or might never agree with with the the position, there must be some reason that the position seems like a good one from where that person who is espousing that position stands. Now the the reason might be completely unfounded or related related to something that. Um, is you know basically a heap of rubbish or um misinformed or whatever but it's it's always interesting to try and get to the root of of where it's coming from and inevitably when i do that i find that it throws up another way of seeing something and maybe a better way of seeing my own position or um lets me realize that perhaps i'm i'm missing something and i'm a little bit too attached to to a certain view and that there would be a a more useful way to to go forward i think a lot of it's really pragmatic it's about usefulness and and trying to be what for want of a better word efficient or and um, find the the creative energy that's actually going to work that's going to follow through um I think I'm quite conceptual. So in the end, what with, I guess as with Park and Pipe, and um, the housing project, we steered it away from the, the political or sociological angle and made it conceptual. And what I mean by conceptual is, um, in that creative space where where you just bounce ideas around and you you are able to tap into people's passions and emotions so what makes them feel good what makes them feel inspired to action what what is it about that that's that's um worth capturing that's forward looking it's collaborative it's inclusive all those good things come from that space rather than the the more power charged political space in my experience so i, I think i tend towards brainstorming in that way um and yeah i i think i i probably do it in most things that i end up involved with
0: but you're you're also really good at separating the emotion from it because i think that's the difficulty isn't it for almost everybody actually including me to be honest like you know it's 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 really difficult not to be judgmental or um, get caught up in the emotion like well I guess like the ego part of these interactions let's say because it quite quickly can become about ego can't it and and not listening and just about defending your position and you know like and just about try to get your voice heard and you're you're really good at almost like separating those those things which is something that I find quite interesting really because it's not it's certainly not something I find easy to do.
1: I, I think you can really learn the most about yourself and potentially the the people you're working with from those moments that tend towards being, you know, judgmental or inflamed or or sparky, you know, this the difficult moments, the struggle because there's something there there's something there potentially that you're not understanding or not seeing or not stepping around so it's not like they you know they don't happen to me they happen all the time um had an interesting session with a, or we were discussing with a, a sports psychologist it's a a tool that's used in high performance sport a lot called spotlights uh and the spotlight profile or your individual spotlight Profile can inform how you can build relationships with others, so it can be a really useful tool. Like anything, it's just a tool to to be used in the right way. But the interesting thing was that it it was um, throwing up things like you know I was balanced and considered, and you know I think you've probably known me long enough. I, I'm actually really quite opinionated and love an argument, but perhaps I've learned <laughs> over time to to. Look further than that initial opinion or reaction, and that that's where the the spark of genius, if you like, or the opportunity to learn, lies. And um, I came across a great um, a great definition of this in in a book by um, uh, Alastair McIntosh, who's a, a writer. He writes a lot about Scottish politics and related subjects but he calls it the shadow strike and what he means by that is when you've said something or done something that that inadvertently triggers somebody else likely there's something in there that's also triggering you and at that moment you have an opportunity to learn something not just about them but about your own perspective your own reactions to the world and if if you can usually I find if you can stop and think a little minute or grab that moment, and it's really hard to do because it's usually a reaction. Then there's some nugget in there that's useful and, and kind of perhaps help you find that middle ground, that bit that nobody else can see yet, or that maybe doesn't even exist.
0: It's so hard to do though. I mean, I've had a thing recently where I won't go into the specific details, but uh, you know, I, had a work thing where I like really basically like really did not like the way that um something was handled by some somebody else that affected kind of affected me and I just could not help but lose my temper like I just you know I just and and what you're saying really rings true because it went beyond pragmatism or like you know there, there was no way I could not have lost my temper, you know, like because it just pushed a button so directly. And then afterwards, obviously, I was quite embarrassed. I was quite um and I was pissed off for myself because I was like, yeah, that was that was not a good reaction. That just really didn't help me. So I was a bit like, so why, why did I react like that? And I was kind of thinking about it. And yeah, what you're saying really rings true because when it when it came down to it, it was like it it almost wasn't the thing that had happened it was what it implied and what it represented you know for me it represented like a just an unacceptable way to behave in interactions with other people you know like and 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 when i looked into it a bit further like to and and to a point that like i act, i actively try not to act in that way personally um and actually go out of my way to ensure that when i deal with people i don't behave in that way so when somebody sort of did that to me unwittingly you know they were basically it wasn't just the thing that happened they're also really pushing this button about a fundamental belief that I have in like how you should behave basically which I didn't really realize till afterwards because you know I was like why why did I react so badly to that like that's not really my style you know um and, and I thought afterwards I thought well I should really have I shouldn't have done that (laughs) you know and I should have like stood 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 back and tried to like separate the things but I'm quite a long way off being able to do that in those situations basically you know I realized much to my further frustration but but I see I I, I totally see what you're saying like there's always there's always a kernel of you in those reactions isn't there basically yeah no matter how much you project outwards
1: you you see it a lot like or if where I first came across it was when I first changed from being a professional athlete to a coach and my role um and roles are a funny thing you know I am kind of have a hard time with putting a role on me because I'm just me and I just do things whatever it is I'm doing I'm Leslie but in the role Leslie in the seat I'm going to say in the seat of a coach um, started to notice these Incidents, these areas of dissonance or disconnect or struggle where it was as much about my preconceptions and self-awareness of myself as it was about me noticing um, areas of challenge for the athletes I was coaching and the interactions between my perspective or lack of or entrenched ideas. Um, and their area of challenge and how those two things combined and what I did with that. So the, the, the process of coaching became very much about that. So where, where can you be of use uh, uh, to somebody? And over time, and I guess this is where uh, yoga thinking comes in a bit, it becomes more of a, a point of being of service or of use to Yourself, because there's no point in losing your rag or getting into that flustered state. That's not really useful to anybody, including yourself. Um, to to be able to to create co-create because you don't do it on your own solutions, creative solutions and ways forward.
0: I think in the case that I'm just to finish that thought that, that I was talking about. There was another layer to it as well, which I was, cause I, cause I, cause I don't react like that normally. You know, I'm normally really good at separating like emotion and, you know, being logical and being rational. I mean, again, as you just said, we know each other very, very well. I think, you know what I'm like, I'm pretty good at that. But the fact that that failed me at this moment put, kind of put another layer on it because I was, cause it made me even more annoyed about the whole thing. Cause I was like, I just don't do this. Like, why am I doing this now? You know, like, and it was, yeah, it was, it was, it was challenging on a number of levels really
1: there's gold in there somewhere Matt for you to find
0: yeah yeah no I've been thinking I've been thinking about it quite a lot yeah I mean thinking have you have you kind of learned the ability to do this then this quite conceptual form of thinking that we're talking about this almost like you know if we could could conceptualize it you know this ability to stand back to to employ pragmatism to To kind of look at what's going on and think of pr- preferential outcomes. I mean, that's let's just summarize it like that. You know, like have you is that something that you've learned over the years?
1: Um, it's definitely something I've learned. I think I've only fairly recently become conscious of the fact that I'm consciously, consciously learning it now and cultivating the opportunities to. Whereas I think before it was really a form of make make and make do or mend and make do so i think and and this is just maybe a rough opinion it was based on okay you, you don't have many resources how do you maximize the usefulness of your resources whatever they may be your skills your time your money your connections to make something happen in terms of whatever the goal was and I, I think that idea so you're t- sorry switched. to interrupt.
0: you're talking you're, sorry to ensure you're talking practically then when you were an athlete yeah so this was almost like it so this was almost like um just to clarify so i interrupted like this is again like just supremely pragmatic because if we think back to when you were an athlete obviously it's very different to how it is now you didn't have resources you're doing it all on your own you know we covered this quite a lot in in the first episode that we did together, which I implore people to listen to for some backstory. So that, but that was, a, that was a result of, of the specific circumstances that you were in.
1: Um, yeah, I, I, I think so. And, you know, my, ex, my experience of living in that way and, and um, ultimately the, the things I was able to achieve by living and working in that way brought that the approach more into consciousness i guess so that i was aware um of when it worked and when it didn't and what sits behind that i'm yeah i'm i'm still looking i'm still questioning you know what what is ultimately the the stance or the view i have on life in general that perhaps led me to work in that way in the first place because i the older i get the, the more i realize that it's actually not so common <laughs> to work in that way um and uh yeah it's it's taken me a while to to appreciate that that's okay.
0: How do you feel about that
1: um yeah i i, I to me it's such a common sense way to work that it just bemuses me that that it's uh, not so common but you know that that's a that's what a blind spot is, isn't it
0: yeah. Yeah I recognise that yeah. So what are you you doing work-wise at the minute? It's ages since we spoke isn't it? I can't actually remember last time we spoke. I mean we normally speak pretty frequently but I think it's probably like earlier this year so what's been been going on? What are you up to?
1: Um, So what I'm up to um, I've just started um, actually a a course for coach developer practitioners, it's a bit of a mouthful isn't it with UK Sport and that's a general um, position that that UK sports see as as working within the system and by system I mean the UK sport funded sports where um, practitioners people come in and support coaches to, to be able to learn to be more effective in what they're doing but interestingly a lot of the approaches are really similar to my natural way of working it's a really pragmatic and practical and um, pedagogical that just means teaching um, in a very holistic sense and um, kind of role. So I'm, I'm um, excited about that course. There's some great people doing it as well. And it's always nice to look outside your free sports bubble and see what the rest of the sporting world are doing. And at the same time, I'm working part-time for JB Snowsport, still helping them with their programme management on the snowboard side.
0: And how is life in the uh, free sports bubble in the current context, in the post-Olympic <laughs> covid era
1: um, yeah the covid era Um anyone who's who's been i guess lucky enough to still have or still travel around internationally themselves or be helping others to work and travel around will resonate with the ridiculous amount of paperwork and ever-changing <laughs> rules and protocols that, that um, you have to juggle in order for that to happen but you know rightly so it's definitely been a challenge um it's been wonderful to watch the Olympics and the the Summer Olympics in Tokyo that's just happened, obviously, and to see the changing narrative coming from from the stories coming out of the Olympics. I've I've definitely enjoyed sensing at least and and obviously hearing and seeing a little bit of a sea change, and watching the the entry of. Skateboarding and surfing and sport climbing and freestyle BMX. Yeah, I've very much enjoyed that. And I think that's going to have a positive effect on the Winter Olympics that are up and coming as well.
0: Yeah, that's interesting, isn't it? Because we've been talking a bit about this. I guess you're talking generally about, I mean, we can get into the specifics of surf, skate, snow, and all that. I guess one of the sea changes you're probably referring to, because you sent me that article, didn't you, earlier, about um, almost like a change in perception about what's required of an elite athlete. Something I talked to Joe Taylor about in the latest episode, actually, because I recorded, as, as as we record the latest episode that's out, I recorded that with Joe just after Simone Biles' thing kicked off and we were kind of talking about, you know, which obviously sparked a conversation that had begun with Naomi Osaka about, almost like what society requires of an elite athlete and you know su- subsequently after the games I was really impressed by Adam P. T. as well did you see all his sort of comments you know where he was basically saying he's gonna take some time off for his mental health and and he did an interview where um they read out like a Piers Morgan tweet and he was just a bit like Do you know what I'm not even gonna go there like what does he know like I'm you know like we know what's required and we're we're almost changing the narrative of what's required of of elite athletes in terms of like the characteristics that they're associated with. And that was almost what that article you sent me today was about, right? It was about like the, the almost like changing that to a three dimensional view and looking at those athletes as as humans really, rather than ciphers for athletic achievement, which, so do you think that's like a recent, Are you putting that down as a very recent change? Because it feels like it.
1: Um, Yes, it's definitely a recent change in the the mainstream narrative around those big sporting events and events like Olympics. And it's really lovely that the the narrative is being led predominantly by the athletes themselves and their lived experience of their sports and the the process of becoming an athlete. So I, I think that's something new. And that, because the, the narrative's now around the process of becoming an athlete and what it's like and what it what's expected of you and perceptions, it takes it away from the outcome of talking only about the medals. I think that, that for me, is a huge positive. I mean, I've obviously been saying that for many, many years, but I think it also opens up the conversation to, to turn to what, What is excellence in sport? What is excellence in general? Is it valuable? Why is it valuable if it is? What does that mean? What does that mean for um, people who do not have, um, you know, excellence could be a really perfectionist um, concept in that not everybody has the capacities to be the best scientist in the world, for example. However, can you conceptualize it as something that's communally valuable? To is there an appreciation that's missing in the the process of trying to become as excellent as you can be? Um, and you know, you will never get away from an elite sport that those concepts, because that's what, what it's ultimately about. Um, however... and to a point
0: that's what's re- and to a point that's what's required isn't it to get there you know like there's there's a reason why those characteristics are venerated like whole so wholly now because that's considered to be the narrative of what you need to to attain to attain excellence as an elite athlete but as you're yeah. i think you're yeah. about to allude to like there's there's a shift isn't there in in the, yeah, the, the sort of wholeness of that idea if you like
1: yeah that the the a marker of that excellence is not winning it's something bigger than that and the value of it for me um, is is missed a lot of the time in any sport so to watch the the skateboarding for example to see the athletes supporting and really appreciating each other's skill and performance and the everything about it you know not just the actual the skills and the capacities that went into what they did, but the, their vibe, if you like, their stoke, everything was shared. And I think that's something that people noticed, people being the mainstream sports media, the conversation, the public. It was, um, as you you know pointed out in your housekeeping corner, <laughs> um, <laughs> people picked up on it again. And they've p- picked up on it in the past, but I think they're starting, there's maybe a, a blossoming understanding of the value of that and what it really means both from the external perspective and the internal perspective because we're now starting to get stories from both those angles
0: I mean now that we're having this conversation I almost feel I was a bit harsh really in that and I I, I was thinking about this last night because obviously that episode's got out and I did I was fairly opinionated on that James Hope Gill thing and you know we had a chat about it over whatsapp and i had a couple of other people sending me messages and comments and stuff and i kind of went to bed thinking like yeah i probably was a bit harsh there but now that we were and i certainly i'm just going to say like should have done should have been way more across like the, you know i made a fairly unsubstantiated claim about his salary for example which subsequently i've found out was just wildly out which is probably a bit slack really so i should probably apologize for that because i was that was easily available information that I didn't really um chase before I just shot off at the mouth um which I don't think helps anybody but I guess what I'm going to say is like what you're doing is you know you as usual you've got a much more positive take on the, the 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 phenomenon that I noticed and talked about in that um housekeeping corner which is essentially like the perception of what's different about our culture from mainstream sporting culture let's just say that and I kind of in that housekeeping corner was talking about that as if like we'd made no progress but what you're discerning is progress which is much more positive isn't it you know yeah. um and I now mean, that you've put, now that you've framed it in those terms I actually agree with you I think you're right I think that is what's going on isn't it
1: yeah um well certainly I'd like to hope so I, and obviously I've got Um, a bit of skin in the game, having been an athlete who did horrendously badly, if you look at, um, if you judge it by medal winning or results at all the three Olympics that I I went to, as as we discussed previously. Um, But um, contrasting my experience or remembering my experience of how the mainstream media handled me in that situation and then contrasting it with the the athletes during the games that had you know were either injured or weren't able to compete or, or for whatever reason didn't achieve what they they maybe wanted to and the stories that were told around those situations was like a breath of sweet fresh air and thank goodness that that's changed for those athletes
0: yeah I mean I guess I guess the point I was clumsily trying to make with the James Hope girl thing is I just think we could, we as a culture, like we as a collective culture, if you like, when this situation arises, just could just could be more proactive about owning this thing that you're talking about, and you know, that, like I was kind of saying, lo, those those are just opportunities, aren't they? To like to, to like, because at the minute, like what's happening is, if you look at the reaction to, for example, you know, I use the example of like every Olympics, it's always like, wow, check this out, the snowboarders they're all mates. They don't carry wins, you know, like, and that's like the classic sort of difference between the two sporting cultures we're talking about, isn't it? You know, like on the one hand, winning is everything. On the other hand, community is everything. And as long as the community does right and somebody wins in the right spirit, we're happy as a community. Let's just, again, characterize it like that. And I think the point you're making is true. And I think the mainstream is groping towards that realization helped by this, but by what they're seeing when sports and activities like skate surf and snow are on the Olympic stage but it's still all a bit like almost by accident and like these dots are being joined like quite slowly and haphazardly I just I just kind of think it could you know when we've got these opportunities to sort of hammer that message home like we could we could be doing that a bit more proactively I guess that was the point I was making but the other question I've got for you is on this whole topic so you know I think the work I've said loudly over the years, I think the work that you did for GB Park and Pipe, you know, just gets more visionary by the year really, because obviously what you were trying to do was create an environment where we could bridge these two sporting cultures and give the athletes the chance, a better chance than you were given by the environment that you were in. And I think it just as an idea and it was characterized, you know, we called it radical gains and all that stuff. Like I just think, as the years go on, it just looks more and more ahead of its time and more and more visionary. And, but one thing that I'm interested in is like, how, how can that be reconciled with a culture like UK sport? Cause you know, I've sat in meetings with you in UK with people from, from that end of things who've kind of openly laughed at us, you know, when we've attempted to explain this, you know, like we, you know, we've, we've literally pitched this idea to people in these positions of, authority and kind of just had blank faces. And in some cases been told that it's a crock of shit. Um, and the sporting culture that exists in that world it is one of excellence. You know, currently funding is based upon like whether you're going to win medals or stuff. So like, how do you see, do, do you see it changing on that, at that level? Cause we're talking at the sort of fluffy end of things, aren't we? You know, really like, but on that hard, on that hard political financial level, do you think those organisations that ultimately make decisions on funding, that make decisions on like athletes' futures, will start to factor in this changing um, narrative that we're talking about when they make those decisions?
1: And um, you know, I, I'm ever the optimist, and I'm going to say yes, they're going to they they will they're going to change because they're they're human as well, and and as a human, they have the capacities to to want to flourish, to to have sustainability in that wide sense of the word, some sort of balanced compromise and um, that I, I think the the idea of symbiosis and, and um, you know, being a driver of life is is ultimately gonna prevail. But you know that's quite idealistic. what it, at the um, cold, hard edge, if you like, um, to keep progressing in sport, high performance sport. So this is moving, it's taking a step out of the free sports space and into the performance sports space. You've got to keep learning and, and you know, you've got to keep progressing and to keep progressing, you've got to keep learning and to keep learning, you need to be able to go into that area of struggle that we, we've we already touched on a few times. And the most effective way to do that is to, to start, looking at different perspectives so ultimately if you are following your intentions and you're you you're looking to progress and you're being practical about it and you're you're measuring that progression in a way that's meaningful you will get there in the end and um, it's kind of the view that I take well how quickly will that happen who knows will something stop it from happening perhaps Because um, there's definitely, um, on one side, the accountancy measures in terms of money and acceptance. And then there's the understanding of the process. And actually, um, at the understanding level, you've got many different um, lenses, if you like, or perspectives you can see it from. You can understand it externally from a psychological or more social or... um, any kind of group related perspective you can understand it internally from the experiential side and i think you need a bit of both you need to try and get the best of of all the different perspectives and see see what makes sense and then you have to communicate it (laughs) and you know we we took when when we set out of park and pipe originally we we approached it predominantly from a communications perspective because ultimately if you can't make it mean something or if it is meaningless we're we're all social beings you're going nowhere so it, I, I think the meaningfulness the way it resonates with people and understanding what what the different groups of people what makes them tick is definitely important um, and on the the high performance sports side in that area what makes people tick so what makes them drawn to appreciate excellence is definitely an area that that uh, is interesting I think the most interesting and and then coupled with how to do that well or how to do that in the right way so the ethics of excellence and you know there you're getting you're getting some pretty hefty themes going on but with, when when people from the different sporting cultures start to talk about those themes and try to unpack and understand them and compare them to similar themes in in different social contexts good things happen new understandings appear new ways forward that can work in a in a more beneficial way for everybody will will start to to take root is really what I I think and hope is going to happen
0: well at least more and more people are even acknowledging this topic now you know which is which is a start isn't it because I think When you were developing your ideas, it's quite a lonely place, really. I don't think anyone else is really even considering the whole relationship in these terms. But, you know, like you, for example, you shared a piece with me ahead of this one, um, which was about skating in the Olympics, wasn't it? I'm just going to sort of get the, uh, try and find it. It's the Brian Glennie thing, wasn't it? When myths collide, skateboarding and Olympic narratives, you know, which is like an academic um, take on this whole question, really. And that, yeah, like I didn't 100% agree with all of that, but it was certainly interesting. And it was certainly, it's just great to see the whole thing being discussed in these terms by more and more people, really.
1: Yeah. Uh, you know, it's interesting that now um, you have, you know, the t- topic of skateboarding or snowboarding or um, any of the free sports discussed from one of those more academic lenses and what that throws up and what it misses. And um, interestingly, I've noticed this is a pattern of late. Um, quite often what's missed is the excellence bit. So you've got to be careful if um, you know to change the narrative away from winning at all costs, which is important and that's great that the narrative's moving away from that. Um, you don't throw out the excellent bit because what happens then you you kind of also miss the point. Um, well that so was there, the point
0: there's... of your that was the point of your blog that you wrote for me wasn't it the other week basically um and um, like... yeah
1: you know it or really the you know how do we in this day and age not only just within our free sports world but in the wider world how do we handle the idea of success and excellence and, and what pitfalls um, become of us if we mess that up
0: I mean, one of the reasons I really liked the blog that you wrote. Um could you summarise it quickly, actually, if people haven't read it? It's on my Substack page, which is the newsletter page basically, if people haven't read it. But how would you summarise that piece?
1: Um how would I summarise that piece? Um I would summarise that piece by saying that um it started out as eight thousand words long and you laughed at me and told me to cut it to a <laughs> thousand. <laughs> yeah I forgot about that um,
0: <laughs> oh, it was, it was um, great working on it though because I think we were both we were both sort of it was just a great way of working ideas out wasn't it you know like working on that together it was it was yeah, it wasn't it, a, it was a long process let's say but it was it was definitely valuable because the more it went on the more I think we both understood what it was actually about if you know what I mean
1: I, you know absolutely and it was really really um valuable and insightful for me to do that. Um, the main point I think I make is that that thing we call the stoke, and I know that's a really cliched word, but that thing that has internal and external value, personal value and and culture, communal value and meaning, it, it's something really special. It's what drives everything forward. It's the the important thing. Um, and why is it important because that's what what gives people the idea that they're flourishing that they're having a good life that they they feel fulfilled they have good feelings of well-being and they feel connected to others connected to their environment all all of these things that if they're not there people are not happy and people are not productive and people get defensive so really it's it's uh investigation into what that is what's driving it and how in the context of free sports how how does that come to be and then by extension how is it handled when it comes to to um, situations of excellence and success competition or non-competition and um, and the the different competing agendas that we get in the the modern world
0: I mean, you also pointed out the very obvious collective act of cognitive dissonance that goes on where one form of progression is valued over another purely for cultural reasons. You know, you, you made the point that essentially there's like, you didn't use the word snobbery, but like the word snobbery, I think is is kind of is is handy, let's say. But, you know, like you made the point that in snowboarding, I think it's too early to say in skateboarding and surfing obviously that um the olympic kind of schism if you like has, has created two forms of progression one, one of which is valued more than the other for cultural reasons rather than for excellence reasons you know like the idea that any progression th- that is like that there's almost two branches of progression there's like the kind of the branch of progression civilized by the classic snowboard narrative you know craig kelly terrier nicholas travis as kind of symbolized by an event like natural selection and then the the the, the branch of progression which has kind of sprung up around like the, the olympic competitive path which is considered generally in negative terms spin to win gymnastics you know somebody like billy for example has been a real victim of that that kind of thing and your your point was like we need to see these as both valid because they're both progression they both are snowboarded now and we're missing something if we don't if we don't accept that they're actually the same thing at the end of the day um and that that was quite a i've never actually heard anyone say that you know it's one of those things where it was when i read it i was like that's a really profound insight actually and it's almost like so obvious but no, one, I've never heard anyone say it and I've never even heard anyone raise it because it is such an entrenched part of like the mythology of modern snowboarding now. The idea that like one form of progression is, is worth more than another really. Um, and and the it, and it, final thing to say is like, you know, you got quite a lot of shit for that. <laughs> I mean, there, was, <laughs> there was definitely some comments that were a bit like, you know, what a load of bullshit basically. Um, one in particular who we must know and I'm willing to bet he's listening to this. So if you are the Phantom substat commenter who was too too much of a shithouse to leave their name, who obviously knows me and Leslie very well, then come on, just fucking own up. Who are you? Anyway, <laughs> um, so in the cold light of day now, a few months later, like, how, what are your thoughts on that? Did you did you think the criticism that you received for that was fair? Um, I
1: you know I I think that's something that that um is a bit hidden and to to be fair I did ch- sense check this on a few other of my international snowboarding colleagues and friends just to double check it wasn't just something I'd you know experienced or picked up on or invented myself and you know they they totally agreed with the point I was making that there there was a double standard in the way that the the tricks the skills the excellences of the the riders are. Um, valued or not even if they're exactly the same pretty much depending on which event. yeah by the by the context yeah yeah by the context Um, and I I think for me that's so obvious because as an athlete I experienced it as a coach I experienced it as a manager I experienced it it, it's there all the time and um, from from talking to my friends and colleagues they it's really obvious to them as well. However, it's not something we've unpacked or talked about as a an industry, as a community. and what why is it there? Why, why um why is that a bit of a blind spot? I think that's really interesting. I suspect it's there in other fields as well. I don't think you'd have to go far to to find another example in a different context of where somebody has a form of excellence that is valued in one context and they take the same skills and present them in a different context and it's not valued in the same way. Uh, And I think that's about who holds the the gates of power, if you like. It's about who's got the privilege and how they use that. So it's getting more into um, this, the social sphere and, and, you know, important, important conversations about equity and equality and, um, access to opportunity.
0: Well, it's a challenging thought on a lot of levels because it, it kind of cuts off at the knees, the idea that everybody, you know, likes to think about these, these, Activities that you know at the heart they're like quite fluffy, friendly places, and it's all like progressions at the forefront and it's community and blah blah blah. But you know, you use the phrase double standards, I use the word snobbery like that. They're, they're like pretty intrinsic parts of it, but that again are hiding in plain sight that just don't really get talked about. So, whether you agree with it or not. And I'm not sure I 100% agree with it. To be completely honest, like you know, if it, not that my personal opinion matters um in this case, but I just thought it was such an interesting thought and such a confrontational thought that it was really worth talking about and considering. Really, which is why I sort of put it out there because I was, and and you know, like. I think for me that was the thrust to the piece. I think for you it probably wasn't, but that was the thing that I really thought was like was was important about that piece.
1: Um, you know, I, I think I got to to thinking about that from a position of, um, what what does it mean for people to go snowboarding, and this is outside of an a high performance context and more um, with my split board instructor hat on (laughs) from from um, inventing the wandering workshops with with um, our good friend hannah bailey that unfortunately we couldn't run due to the covid restrictions but we'll run again this winter and imagining that what kind of i've got a
0: commission for that haven't i i keep forgetting about that i've been i I can uh i I can write about that for metro great
1: so you know so as you're coming on, on one of the, the wandering workshops weekends, what kind of experience can we set up for you to learn something about yourself and value those things that you learn, which are your own form of you know flourishing, accomplishment, excellences, whatever you want to call it? How does that work? What does that mean? How can how do you make sense of that? And then to think about the experiences of these high-performance athletes and to think. How, how do they personally experience what they do and other people's perceptions of what they do in the different contexts? And I think it becomes really interesting that internally they might be experiencing something really similar, uh, but externally it could be totally different.
0: So were these ideas that you only really thought about when we put the piece together or have you kind of been ruminating on these for a while?
1: Um, I, hadn't, I definitely hadn't crystallized them until I tried to explain it to somebody else, and I, I think that's a, a lot of. So I've, I've also been <laughs> toying, toying is the, the right word, with the idea of of uh, doing a PhD in more ethics and philosophy around free sports. That might that may or may not ever happen, but from looking at that field and and trying to understand how you would approach. Doing a project like that, um, and understanding what the different philosophical lenses, if you like, the different branches bring to understanding why people do what they do and what and um, why they give value to certain things, depending on how they see the world, really highlighted to me that it's important to, to question and it's important to notice what the different um, ways bring Uh, so depending on how you're viewing your experience from a personal standpoint is it internal is it external where are you placing value why are you placing value changes everything
0: actually so i mean the winter olympics is really close it's in eight eight 18 months right which is crazy isn't it is that right 18 months or is it no it's next year isn't it it's in it's in like february it's
1: in february yeah 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 february this or in 2022
0: that's mad isn't it
1: yeah
0: so um what what what's the crack like he do we do do we gb have good prospects this year what what are you thinking um
1: yeah i mean there's there's always um there's always prospects um we've got a bit of a mixed team in terms of experience so we have some very very experienced athletes heading to olympics and across park and pipes so of ski and snowboard and we have james woods who's massively experienced and um, right down to to um people like Kirsty muir she's also a ski slope style athlete who's um, just in her mid teens and going we'll be going to our first Olympics, having just done one World Cup season, so there's everything in between on the snowboard side we've you know we've got Katie Armorod back to full health, which is amazing and great to see after our horrific injuries in p y and you know she's on form and um, it's a bit of an unknown landscape because it's been such an odd season last season you not not even everybody was able to travel. Um, because of Covid so um, it's a bit exciting it it kind of throws the the balls up in the air a bit and and makes it a little bit more unpredictable. Are you going to go? No I think I'm pretty unlikely to go this time I'm, I'm definitely moving more towards coach development work and you know into the how is it like this how did it come to be like this kind of perspective rather than working with the athletes on the cutting edge, must be getting old, finally.
0: <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I I, mean, it's, when did I last go snowboarding now? March last year. I mean, this is like world's tiniest filing time, um, given what's going on <laughs> in the world right now. It's almost like embarrassing to sort of say it as if it's a big deal. But nevertheless, I'm very much looking forward to going snowboarding next year. Um, and I'm very much looking forward to coming up to see you guys to do to do the workshop. So yeah. let's talk about that a little bit because obviously you guys kind of developed that idea and I know you've mentioned it and I know you've given a little bit of an idea about it. But so you guys kind of, you and Hannah, who listeners will remember from our episode last year, which is really popular, have um, come up with this concept and it's, so it's a split boarding workshop, basically in the Highlands, isn't it? But it's also... Is more to it than that, right?
1: Yeah. So the the idea very much came from the hours and hours of discussions that, um, and discussions in a really positive sense, that Hannah, myself, Lauren, all our other friends that we go hiking or mountain biking or surfing or ski touring or splitboarding or do whatever we do up here in the Highlands together, um, and during our adventures, we we were having discussions around sense making and what it meant for us to be in the back country doing what we do what the different activities brought to us what they taught us about ourselves and about others how we supported each other how how we took those learnings and that form of support into other areas of our life and how could we open up something that we all found was really really positive to others and then you know i i've had a, a Ski and snowboard instructor qualification for many many years, and and um, really only used the coaching part of it. And I thought, well, wouldn't it be really fun and rewarding to set something up that that really focused on those themes of how how you look at the world really affects what you see, and what you see really affects how you experience yourself and others, as well as the environment. And how can you play with that? How can you change your experience of yourself and the connection you have with other people, with your community and with the natural world um, by changing what you look at, what you think about, how you think about it. And Hannah approaches photography from a really similar perspective. So then we thought, we, we love stories also, and we thought we could really tie those th- two things together because you make sense of how you experience yourself by, by telling a story. whether that's you know current in current times you tell the story via some form of social media and film and pictures and words. but that's always been a thing. That's how people make sense of the world and of their communities. So to support the storytelling, the sense making, both externally and internally through a shared experience, a shared adventure shared wonder is the whole point of of the project it's something a bit different than trying to you know get up there and bag the highest mountain and come down the steepest line that's definitely not what it's about
0: yeah i'm looking forward to it um i'd completely forgotten about that commission so going to sort that out so what how can people find out more if they're interested from from listening to this
1: so um we, we have a website that um, it's been it's a bit dormant at the moment but in the next few weeks as winter approaches it'll be back live we'll put some new dates up so wanderingworkshops.com is the website and you can also follow us on instagram it's wanderingwrkshops on instagram um, and you know direct message us hit um, hit us up ask us questions we're we're always really excited to hear from people Um, you know hopefully we get a snow season like last year which was epic (laughs) yeah it was tricky
0: tricky to watch that
1: (laughs) (laughs) fingers crossed
0: yeah yeah hey Leslie well you got to go haven't you because you got to go and do the school run but um that was great thank you um I hope you. you didn't mind how casual I was about arranging this but um it's quite nice just to be able to like jump on a call with a friend so thanks very much so there you go that was me and leslie mckenna and i hope you enjoyed it as mentioned at the top leslie's one of my dearest friends so that was a very fun hour or so for me um yeah i found it as usual very thought-provoking i hope you did too i mean leslie's opinions on these things can be complex and quite polarizing and to demonstrate that point I'm going to read out a couple of comments off the back of the blog that I talked about earlier. The first one, very positive, from Alex Doer. Doer, sorry, Alex. I do know Alex. He's involved in the European snowboarding industry. Alex wrote, this is one of the most reflective and analytical articles about the topic I've come across since snowboarding joined the Olympic program. As with many things in life, there are different ways to enjoy the same activity, environment or experience. Neither should be considered right or wrong because after all, an experience is very individual. Having been involved with snowboarding politics for more than 20 years, my approach has always been to build bridges as this will ultimately lead to more people winning, in inverted commas. I do think that the core snowboarding community has made a big mistake because instead of embracing the Olympic pathway as part and form of snowboarding and welcoming possible positive change... People or organizations following their dream or collaborating have been alienated. It is already apparent that similar mistakes have have been made on both sides in the new sport joining the movement like skateboarding and BMX freestyle instead of learning from the experience snowboarding has gone through. So, you know, that's a very positive comment, even if I did mangle it a little bit. Um, And then we had the aforementioned anonymous Substack poster who me and Leslie referred to during our conversation who definitely didn't like the article who wrote this leads reads like a masterclass in alienating your target audience. No need to patronize people for not being into your vision vision. Let the core be core and let the punters and their backpack in 20,000 marketing word essays celebrate gold medals and money. Not necessarily in that order. If you need convincing crank a clip of Billy's quad cork and a clip from Arthur Longo's side hits euphoria and tell me which one gets you more hyped to ride. Which made me laugh for a couple of reasons. Firstly, because it was anonymous. And, I, I, you know, and I'm always like, I mean, we're fucking talking about snowboarding. You know, why be anonymous? And that is like the tamest take on snowboarding ever. So I really, you know, I did say in my reply, like, why, why do you do it anonymously? And the guy was like, well, because I work in marketing. And then I understood it. Because anyone who works um, in marketing that's using longo Side Hits Euphoria to make an argument... I mean, yeah, that is up there with the odd socks. Where do they go? A, A, in terms of an original observation. Um, The tantalizing thing, like I say, is that I must know who this person is. I just hope they don't work for me. Anyway, if you're listening, the Substack Phantom, I love you too. And have you ever thought of putting on a bank slalom? Because I hear they're just what snowboarding needs. Anyway, as mentioned, that piece went out on my newsletter which you can sign up to via my website. Every fortnight, I send out a post with the 10 things I think are worth sharing that week. And every other week, I send out a post to the blog from a guest or myself, which is what happened there. If you like the podcast, you'll probably like the newsletter. So sign up to my website, sign up at my website, even www.wearelookinsideways.com. So what else is going on? Well, I've been invited to be on the jury of the London Surf Film Festival for their 10th anniversary event, which is a real honour. So thanks, Chris and Demi, for asking me to take part in that. I interviewed Demi a couple of years ago on the show, which you can find in the back catalogue. That was a great chat. I also go way back with Chris Nelson, who was one of the very, very first people to commission me as a journalist back in 1996. I've not forgot that Chris. You did me a huge favour there and um you know I've always remembered how gener- generous you were towards me. So thanks for that. Anyway, I'm really excited and chuffed to be involved with this one. Head on over to their website and Instagram to find out more, but the dates for the event are October the 7th to the 9th in London, and if you're around it's a must do. I mean, I might not actually be around because I booked a Maldives trip 2 years ago and that has been postponed about 5 times now. And remarkably It looks like it might actually happen at the beginning of October, which is kind of mental. I mean, there's still a few hoops to jump through, but I'm now getting rather excited. So I'm trying to clear the decks and get myself ready for that. And also for the Brittany trip, which I'll actually be on by the time you hear this. And the forecast is looking good. So if you're in Brittany and you fancy hooking up for a queen, a nan and a wave, sorry, I've mangled that pronunciation as well, then let me know. All right, I'll be back next week. And then he said, I'll be back at the end. God, um, you can tell I'm trying to clear the decks here, can't you? Um, I'll be back next week with another episode. If you enjoyed this one, why not give it a share? Nice one. <laughs>